0: Back to throw Patrick. Throwing high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. What is up, Dolphins fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your Miami Dolphins each. And every day. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we kick off the Know the Enemy series, breaking down AFC East foe, the New England Patriots. Plenty of change this year, and we'll get you the best knowledge on Miami's rival from one of the best reporters on the Pats beat. He'll break down the quarterback situation, the crazy depth in the secondary, who replaces some of the key cogs that are now departed, all of that and more on this Wednesday, June the 10th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Let's just go ahead and cut right to the chase today. We have a long, long interview with Evan Lazar of CLNS Media there in Boston covering the New England Patriots. He also hosts the Patriots All-22 podcast. He really does a heck of a job covering the Patriots every single day on the beat. Very knowledgeable, very in-depth, very thorough in his coverage, and that's why I had to get him on for this Know the Enemy edition of the Drive Time podcast. Let's go ahead and welcome in Evan Lazar. And joining me now on the Drive Time podcast is Evan Lazar. He is the Patriots beat reporter for CLNS. LNS Media and the host of the Pats All 22 podcast. Evan, welcome in, my friend.
1: Thanks for having me on. I think this is the first time I've been on since it's been officially on dolphins.com and all that kind of stuff. So it's, it's great to see you come up, Trevor. It really is. I
0: I appreciate it, man. Yeah, we were, uh, we did locked on dolphins once. And then I happened to stumble upon, see, I happened to see you at the scouting combine in Indianapolis during the media availabilities. And like, we didn't recognize each other right away, but then I was was like, like, Oh, that's Travis, right? (laughs) Yeah. I've talked to this guy like seven or eight times before. And so I I was going to ask you, man, it's, that was the last time I think we really talked besides setting this show up. How you doing, man? You, you staying entertained? You're covering media availabilities through Zoom, I imagine. How you holding up?
1: Yeah, you know, we're all trying to kind of make it through this dull period here and, and make it through coronavirus, obviously, too. But we're holding up well. You know, we do the Zoom calls with the Patriots players about once a week, I would say. And uh, we had the draft, which was big for us, obviously, as well. So a lot going on there. But, you know, like everybody else, just kind of holding the breath, crossing your fingers that football isn't going to be too impacted with what's going on with the pandemic and we're actually going to kind of skate by a little bit here, in terms of football at least.
0: Yeah, we had, I think it was a Tom Pelosero tweet that sent out some of the guidelines for how to approach training camp and how there's going to be some differences in terms of separating players and having the masks in the locker room and all that stuff, so interesting times indeed, but my takeaway from that, Evan, was that football is near, and for me, when the calendar turns June, I always kind of we talked about it in our DMs. The juices get flowing a little bit because everything in the off season is behind you. You have games to talk about and teams to break down and that's kind of what we're going to do here on this Know the Enemy series. You're my first guest to come on the podcast and talk about someone that's not the Dolphins and wouldn't you know at week one, Dolphins and Patriots. But I don't want to preview the game necessarily. I just want to talk about the Patriots and get your feel for what this team might look like this year and for the first time in two decades, a lot of change, a lot different, especially at the main position, quarterback. And let's go ahead and start there. I'll go back to a former Patriot and Dolphin, Rob Ninkovich, who says that he thinks that Brian Hoyer will, in fact, take the opening day starting job. I have three questions for you on that point. Is there validity to that idea? Is there a possibility that it could be Brian Hoyer? What do you think of that, and how would the fan reaction be if they went into the season pretty much not going after any quarterbacks on the open market and just going in with not Jarrett Stidham, but rather Brian Hoyer? I think the
1: validity to it, Travis, is just the fact that Bill Belichick is not going to hand anybody the starting quarterback job. So this is, for all intents and purposes, an open competition. I say that with air quotes because it's like any young quarterback, right? It's technically an open competition, but we know everybody in the building is leaning one direction, and that's towards Stidham. Now, the Patriots have done everything this off season with that sort of in mind of getting everything situated and ready to put Jared Stidham in the best position to succeed. He is their long-term answer right now. Quarterback. He's the guy that they look for being the quarterback, hopefully for a long, long time, but, at least through this season and beyond so looking at it I think there is validity to the fact that two things one it's an open competition there's no guarantee that Jared Stidham is going to be the starter two with the pandemic I think that there is a little bit of wishy-washiness within the organization of is Jared really going to be ready week one with not a full mini camp maybe not a full training camp lead up maybe not enough preseason games in-game action live action at what point in time is it do we say let's just go with Brian Hoyer for the time being and build up to him rather than throwing him right into the fire week one
0: and so you getting to be a on the field every day and practice a beat reporter you get a chance to see what Jarrett Sidham looks like in practice and in preseason last year and all that fun stuff but we also know that Tom Brady doesn't miss reps even in practice so I'm sure that that Sidham never saw first team reps at any point I, w- I would venture to guess what did he look like in practice was there like okay there's up some pop with this kid there's something there with him
1: well, early on in practice, I would say, you know, training camp, mini camp, that, those types of things. The thing that stood out, everybody told us about the arm strength, the arm talent, the ball was going to look nice coming out of his hands, all that kind of stuff. And that definitely got backed up on the practice field. But I would say that what got backed up even more was his ability to throw accurately down the field. I think in college, especially his last year at Auburn, there was some doubts about his accuracy and some inconsistencies there. So there was a lot more pinpoint accuracy, I think, when we got to see him that uh, we were expecting. Now, he still was holding on to the ball for a little bit too long, takes too much time in the pocket sometimes to go through his progressions and get through his reads. But in terms of the ball accuracy, ball placement, he was really, really good at that. Then later in the season, because Tom Brady was a 42-year-old quarterback, they did start to kind of manage his workload a little bit in practice and to kind of give Stidham a little bit more first-team reps later on in the season. So late in the season, Brady was a little bit banged up. He had the elbow thing. He had something in his lower leg, too. And he kind of gave way to Stidham just a little bit just to allow his body to recover during the week. So Stidham did actually get... More first-team reps at the end of the year than I think most young quarterbacks in New England system would be accustomed to getting, like a Jimmy Garoppolo or a Jacoby Brissett, or whoever the case may be.
0: Yeah, always forward-thinking, right? Like always having a plan for what might be next. That's what Bill Belichick does. That's why he's been so great at the top of the division, at the top of the NFL for two decades now. When you mentioned Jarrett Sims' arm talent, and that's an interesting point to focus on because I actually there's probably a tweet out there on my tweet deck from. Last year's draft, I was a huge Kyler Murray guy, but besides that, not so big on the 2019 draft class. But I remember saying that if I was going to take a third round or a third day pick at quarterback, it would be Stidham because he is a five-star high school recruit who had that talent and maybe had to develop it a little further at the professional level. And the best way I think you can get a young quarterback up to speed is to compliment him with a strong running game. And we know the Patriots are as deep as anybody in the backfield. And I have it in my show notes here to ask you, Evan, is there pressure to get Sonny Michelle the lion share? And the reason I ask you that is because he's a first round running back where you've got Rex Burkhead there, you've got Uh, Damian Harris, who was a second or third round pick. You can correct me on that one. And then you've also got James White, who I know the Patriots have always loved. I'm just curious to see how that backfield workload is divided up and is there pressure to get Michelle more work because he was a first round pick?
1: there's always, there's a lot of mouths to feed and with Michelle, it's right from the bat his rookie season, as soon as he was healthy and back on the field, it was his show on first and second down for the most part, or early down run type of situations, and they worked that play-action passing game really effectively off of having Michelle on the field, where they're averaging almost 11-12 yards per attempt per pass when Michelle's on the field, even though they're only throwing the ball 30% of the time because of how effective that play-action game was going with him, but the pressure to get him on the field I think the pressure is to get him to be a little bit more well-rounded as a running back so he can play on more on passing situations catch the ball a little bit out of the backfield use him more as a versatile weapon like that that we're so accustomed to seeing with other Patriots running backs like a James White like a Rex Burkett I think there's actually a lot of pressure from the outside not saying from the inside but from the outside actually to get Damian Harris some work too and get him some run and see what the Alabama running back has because Michelle hasn't Really popped off. He hasn't been, you know, he's been solid, but he hasn't been first round pick. This guy's amazing, that sort of thing. So there is some pressure, I would say, to get Damian Harris involved a little bit more from the fan perspective, because he did pop a little bit in the preseason last year. And then he kind of went away and did that whole, you know, Foxborough red shirt thing because he was a rookie. And so it would be nice to see him get more run in year two with Michelle. I think we're, we kind of know who he is at this point. He is what he is. He's good between the tackles. He's got really good vision, good contact balance. He's got a little bit of burst from that initial kind of point where he puts his foot in the ground and gets upfield and gets vertical, but there isn't a ton of wiggle or ability to create after the, after contact or after the catch, if you will, as well. So I I think that the, they kind of know who Michelle is at this point. We'd like to know a little bit more about Damian Harris.
0: You talk about those guys catching footballs out of the backfield. That's The Patriots are as good as anybody in that regard, getting the ball to the running backs in the passing game. And that, to me, kind of does replace some of the lack of production they might have had at receiver or tight end last year. But you go into the season, Evan, you look at the depth chart, it's just on paper, there wasn't a lot of focus to... To bolster that side of the football, you got Julian Edelman there, Nikhil Harry coming back in year number two, speaking of kind of a Foxborough redshirt, so to speak. Maybe as far as production goes, it wasn't what you would have thought it was going to be. You've got Mohamed Sanu still there. How do you sell this fan base on, you know, we talked about the consternation of Tom Brady's weapons last year. Is it better than last year? And how do you sell the fans on getting excited about the pass catchers they have in New England?
1: Well, start with the wide receiver position, because I do think there is some excitement with the tight end group with the two guys that they just drafted in the third round. So we'll get to them in a second. But yeah. the pass catchers, really listening to Bill Belichick, he was pretty honest about this right after the draft because they passed on this historically great wide sure. receiver class and didn't draft a single guy at that position after struggling there last year. And his kind of explanation of for it was was that last year they you know took a first round pick in Nikhil Harry. The year after that, they had a second-round pick in that Mohamed Sanu trade. So really, when you look at the resources allocated to the wide receiver position, they've now given up a first-round pick in one draft and a second-round pick in the next draft on the position. And Belichick's kind of saying, you know, to me, that's a lot. You know, we're trying here to invest in wide receivers. So I think for the Patriots, they're hoping from within, internally, that this wide receiver group is going to improve, that Nikhil Harry is going to have a big breakout season in year two. And he's been down in the Houston area working with the footwork king and trying to to get his routes sharper and kind of get a little bit more explosive and a little quicker, be a little bit faster on his feet. So that's what he's doing down there. So they're hoping for a big year or two out of the first-round pick. They're hoping that Sanu is going to play better than he did down the stretch last year. You have Julian Edelman coming back. You have Damari Bird, who they really like, who they stole from Arizona and free agency as that speed demon, that burner on the outside, like Philip Dorset was for them the last couple of years. So that's the sort of the, what's being sold. That's the mantra coming out of the building right now is we are expecting the group that we had in-house to take a leap this year from what it was last year, and some of these guys are going to improve. And then you look at what they did at tight end in the draft by a- adding Asi and Keane, and now you start to get into some more versatility-type weapons, whereas Keane can play a little bit on the line of scrimmage. You can kind of play like an H-back and like that use-check sort of San Francisco role. You can move him around a little bit, and you can get situations where those two guys can create mismatches and create uh, opportunities after the catch as well. So I think you add that together, you add the running backs together, and you just pray that the pass catchers do make those jumps you know, up in year two in the system for Sanu and Harry, and you, that's where you're, they're hoping to manufacture this offense.
0: And if there's anybody that's going to manufacture a new style of offense or new just scheme in general, of course it's the Patriots who have reinvented themselves time and time again under Bill Belichick there up in New England. I've got Evan Lazar here. He is a Patriots beat reporter for CLNS Media and the host of the Pats All-22 podcast on the drive time podcast, part of the Miami dolphins podcast network. And speaking of change, we're going to get back to the offense here in just one second, because we left off the strongest unit on the offense by far in the offensive line. In my opinion, we're going to come back to that, but I want to talk about speaking of trying to replace a player that really kind of exemplified what the scheme was. And Kyle Van Noy, now a Miami Dolphin, I don't want to get your take on what he is as a Miami Dolphin because we have exhausted that here on this podcast this offseason. But I'm curious to ask you because prior to last season, where he was mostly an edge linebacker who rushed a lot, uh, prior to that he was pretty much a 50-50 off ball on ball guy and i'm curious do they have an in house replacement for that did it go through the draft we know about josh uche and chase winovich and some of the guys they have there is that kind of where they're looking to replace kyle van noy I would
1: say long-term, yeah. Listen, I think Van Noy is a huge guy to replace for this defense that kind of flew under the radar a little bit because of the Brady side, You know, Brady leaving. That's the big news, right? But Kyle Van Noy last year led the Patriots in quarterback pressures. He did play 90% of the time on the line of scrimmage, like you mentioned, kind of as a rush linebacker on the edge. But his ability to really set an edge against the run and rush the passer effectively, do some of the different things they like to do schematically with the rush, and also play off the ball in certain situations he brought a ton of versatility, a ton of value, and he's also just a really good dude and a great guy to have in the locker room. So a big loss, I would say, for Van Noy. just a professional football player that's very, very smart, intelligent, savvy, all those types of things, and a very good athlete too. That's what made him a second-round pick uh, all those years back, and the Patriots kind of got that second-round talent out of him over the last couple of years. Now, in-house replacements, where they look for this, they did draft in Fernie Jennings from Alabama, who kind of has... a Almost an identical body type, actually. They're both kind of 6'3, 255, right in that range. He's sort of the guy that I would say long term is their best replacement, just from a body type perspective and a playing style perspective, for that kind of strong side edge. Now, Winovich, Uche. Those guys have play speed. Those guys have get-off. They're explosive playmakers on defense. But I feel like those guys mostly are away from the tight end, right? You want to get them away from the tight end on the weak side of the formation where they can worry mostly about rushing the passer and getting off the ball and being fast and being explosive. Whereas on the other side with where Van Noy was playing – You do need a little bit more of a girthier player that can hold up against double teams that can hold up against the tight end, kicking you out or something like that. And that's where a guy like a is going to come in, but, I would say right now the guy that's going to be is probably going to be John Simon, and he's one of the strongest pound-for-pound players on the Patriots in terms of just conditioning and weightlifting and all that kind of stuff, a really strong, muscular guy that doesn't get pushed around easily, very smart, instinctive, good in the scheme. So I would assume that Simon will get most of that lion's share of that work early on in the season with the hope that Jennings can develop into that player eventually.
0: I'm going to come back and ask you in a minute about the most unsung player on the Patriots. I think Kyle Van Noy was that for a long time because you mentioned John Simon. He is right up there in that group for me, along with Dietrich Wise and and some of the guys they have, Lawrence Guy up front. They have so many players that I just don't think get the national publicity that they deserve because they are very good players, especially within that scheme. And speaking of that scheme, now we saw Brian Flores and Chris Greer really focus on the secondary this offseason, going out and signing Byron Jones, drafting Noah Igbenogany, two high-resource allocations there on the roster the Patriots for my money still have the deepest secondary in football and I have many questions for you at this position let's go ahead and just start with this first part here how do the reps shake out beyond Stephon Gilmore last year's defensive player of the year at cornerback what makes
1: the patriots so fun with their secondary is that everybody's interchangeable I, yeah, you I can love really it. Yeah. move everybody around from safety to corner to hybrid linebacker to slot to outside wherever they need them to play on a week to week basis based off the matchups they can play these guys so after gilmore it really becomes very much like a basketball lineup you know what's the other team rolling out are they rolling out a bunch of centers or are they rolling out a bunch of point guards and then we kind of match up you know the way that, from there now John John Jones is going to be their primary nickel. He's going to be the guy in the slot most of the time. He's a very effective slot corner, runs in the low 4.3s, high 4.2s, something like that. So he's a track guy, and he's – the one that they've sort of tabbed as that Tyree Kill, Marquise Brown, you know, go keep up with the track guys, right? And that's sort of what Jones has been able to do for them the last couple years while also being a really stout run defender in that sort of new strong side linebacker role because of the way that, you know, offenses are playing so many three wide receiver sets. So John Jones is going to be in the slot and playing that nickel role. Then it really comes out to, you know, who's going to be playing on the outsides, and Gilmore's obviously going to be on one side, and then J.C. Jackson, Jason McCourty, and Jawan Williams who's their second-round pick last year. They're all kind of fighting for that third spot. Now, J.C. Jackson has definitely played the best out of those three guys so far, and he's kind of the most exciting player of that group. Young corner, still on his rookie deal. He's got two more years of team control, and he's really played the ball extremely well in the air and, and been a very tough kind of feisty man coverage corner like you're so used to seeing with the Patriots. So Jason McCourty is kind of that consummate pro that can play inside. He can play outside. He can play man. He can play zone. He can kind of just do a little bit of everything. But when they really want to lock down and play man-to-man against across the board and really shut teams out, it's J.C. Jackson on the outside with Gilmore and John Jones in the slot. And I wouldn't really expect that to change very much.
0: And you talk about that being five deep at that cornerback spot. And you, you mentioned the flexibility to play pretty much every spot in the secondary we're trying for the same thing down here because Brandon Jones from Texas, same idea. I talked about Noah Igbenogany, Bobby McCain, Eric Rowe. You know him very well from your time up there in New England as well. I'm curious because that depth is so valuable, but is there a certain point with that cornerback depth? Do they maybe want to try to pedal some of that for help elsewhere on the roster? Because you mentioned Jawan Williams, who, I, I mean, he could be your fifth cornerback, a second round draft pick. Like, does he have more value for somebody else and bringing back more value on the roster elsewhere where you might be weaker compared to where you're so strong at cornerback.
1: Right, and Juwan Williams is kind of sensing that as well because he's been out trying to learn safety this offseason so he can kind of add to his versatility to make himself a little bit more valuable on the roster because he just doesn't see the snaps at cornerback kind of presenting themselves right now for him despite that second round. His top 50 pick in last year's draft, and they can't even get him on the field because of how deep they are at corner. The one guy, and I keep on having this take, and Patriots fans kill me for it every single time, but the one player is JC Jackson that does interest me because... At some point, he's going to get paid yeah. for what he's done so far in the league. He's got this year, and then he's got a restricted free agent tender year after that because he was an undrafted free agent player. And at some point, someone's going to give him a contract. And kind of like with Malcolm Butler, I'm just not sensing that the Patriots are necessarily going to be that team that's going to overpay for J.C. Jackson. Keeping him around on a rookie deal it's great value, and then keeping him around on a, on a team-friendly deal is great value for them if they can figure that out. But if he's going to go out there and get – you know, his big payday, his $10-plus plus million a year, I could see them try to peddle him and look elsewhere for help at a different spot that they need help at, whether it's a, a stud pass catcher or someone like that, which I do think is a possibility given how good J.C. Jackson has played in his first two seasons. I wouldn't be shocked if they're able to pull off a trade for a wide receiver or, you know, a for, for a defensive lineman where they're a little bit short or whatever the case may be to get him and then really – Are you going to lose a ton by putting Jason McCourty and Juwan Williams in those snaps instead of J.C. Jackson? That's sort of the shuffling question that you have to ask if you're Bill
0: Belichick. Yeah, trying to find a way to maximize your value, right? You all have the same amount right. of resources and just try to find the way you can you get the most out of it. And you mentioned paying J.C. Jackson. I imagine that becomes a little more difficult on top of Stephon Gilmore's contract because that was one of those deals when it happened that nobody saw coming because Patriots don't play big in free agency, right? But they went out and got the guy, the exact guy to fit their system. And he turns out to be a defensive player of the year just a couple of years in. You talked about him playing some safety. You talked about him being a second round draft pick perfect transition perfect segue into Kyle Duggar the Patriots first pick this year but it came in the second round and speaking of unsung players Patriots lose Deron Harmon to the Detroit Lions is that kind of the role he's thinking about in year one because you do have Devin McCourty who is one of the best most again underrated safeties in the NFL for my money you've got Patrick Chung who fits a role in that defense to the T. Deron Harmon now gone where does Kyle Duggar factor in
1: well, I think that's a really great observation because I think a lot of people, when they drafted Duggar, they looked at him and he, he's rocked up, right? He's a he's a gym rat. He's 220 pounds, six foot one, six foot two, and they saw like a Chung replacement, a guy that's going to come down in the box, play against tight ends, play against backs out of the backfield, and you know, kind of hold up against the run with his physicality at safety while still adding that athleticism. Although I think that he could eventually play that role, the role that he played at Linor Ryan in college was as a free safety as a deep guy, playing over the top and ranging over the top and playing center field and ball hawking and all that kind of stuff. And you look at the Deron Harmon departure, and to me the easiest way for him on the field as a rookie is at free safety, is playing that center field role in cover one schemes and and in post-safety looks because they don't really have another guy outside of Devin McCourty that can do that regularly and do it consistently. And ideally, like with McCourty last year, McCourty last year actually split 50-50 Box and slot and deep safety. You know, he was coming down into the box a lot more, and he has been a lot more in, his, in the later on in his career, not because he's lost a step or anything, just because he's added that versatility to his game where he can play like an intermediate robber role, or he can blitz the quarterback in some of their zero pressure looks, or he can cover a tight end or a running back out of the backfield because of his cornerback experience early on in his career. So having Harmon kind of allowed McCourty to be this like game plan chess piece for Bill Belichick where you just kind of move him around the defensive backfield wherever is best suited for him in that situation in that game. Whereas now without Harmon, it kind of pigeonholes McCourty to only be playing in the deep part of the field and that he's great at that so it's not a terrible thing but it just kind of takes away a little bit from his sort of versatility in his game so I think ideally Duggar would really take that role head-on as a rookie and be able to play free safety which is where his college coaches say he's best suited to play there in the NFL and be pro ready day one is to be that ball hawker to be that guy over the top and that's where I think I hope at least that that's where they're going to go with him early on and then worry about bringing him into the box and having him do those sort of things a little bit later on in his career.
0: Yeah. I remember coming into the draft thinking that Kyle Duggar or Jeremy Chin are going to be Patriots because of the way they test and the way they play multiple spots at that safety slash defensive back position. And it's mean, I just, I love the approach of sharpening a strength on your roster. It's, it's, it's something that not every team does, but something the Patriots do so well to keep that pipeline full and just be able to replace like, you mentioned when a guy like jc jackson goes out and gets big money somewhere else if that's what happens you can just fill in based on your roster behind him so i think defensive back may be inarguably the strength of the team if it's not it's got to be the offensive line so tell me evan is that's going to be the way they build this offense right they're going to build around the strength of that offensive line isaiah Wynn, joe tooney david andrews Shaq mason marcus cannon you can make a debate for all those guys being top 10 top 5 maybe even the best at their position How does this offensive line work out this year? And is the depth behind them good enough to hold up if they lose a body or two?
1: Well, that's the big question, I think. Is first of all, they lose Dante Skarnecki at to retirement, their legendary offensive line coach. That's a huge shoe to fill, right? That's going to be a difficult sort of thing to overcome. But the good news is, is that that starting five has experience in the system and is a very experienced group outside of Win for the most part. They've got tons of, you know, kind of games under their belt and situations under their belt in the NFL. So not having a legendary all time offensive line coach for somebody like Joe Tooney who's so good already, it's probably not the end of the world. But those backups like you mentioned, they don't have veteran backups. They have guys that they've taken in the last couple of drafts. Guys like Yadi, Kajus and Yelda Froholt and the three guys they took at the end of this year. Those are the guys that they have as backups, as emergency guys as security blankets, and they don't have the benefit of having Skarnekia fine-tune everything for them before they get to that point where they're ha- you know, being forced to start. So that's a big question, I think, for this group, is their starting five is as good as any on paper that you can kind of stack up across the league, but some of them do have some injury concerns. Obviously, Isaiah wins in and out of the lineup all the time, and they don't have that veteran guy that's that third swing tackle or that Ted Karras, like he's down in Miami now, that you know fourth guy on the interior either who has a ton of game experience so jermaine illuminor uh you know i think that he has a chance to kind of be that top backup Yeah, so Jermaine Illuminor could probably be the top backup, I would say, in the interior. Corey Cunningham, who they traded for at the end of last uh, August, the end of last preseason, he's got some big athletic upside. They like him as sort of a project player, but he's got a little ways to go in terms of his technique and kind of just balance and core balance and fundamentals and things like that. But the one thing that you mentioned, Travis, at the beginning was about how the Patriots are always evolving. And the one evolution I could really see from this team, they brought in Jed Fish, who used to work with the Rams and uh, with uh, Sean McVay. And then he has some Shanahan family ties as well with Mike Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan and Gary Kubiak. And he's got that wide zone running game with the play action stuff that the Niners do, that the Rams do. I think the Patriots might be kind of evolving into that a little bit more over the next couple of years, especially if Stidham ends up being the guy because Stidham can move around a little bit more than a Tom Brady. So you start getting him outside the pocket on those bootlegs or on those rolls. Outs and those types of concepts and cut the field in half and make things a little bit easier for the younger quarterback. So I think there's going to be a little bit of a shift. You know, usually the Patriots are a power team. They're pulling a guard. They're knocking pins down. That's usually their go-to. But I think that you could see a little bit of a shift towards a more outside wide zone rushing game with those play action passes coming off of it as a way to sort of protect against a younger team outside of the offensive line.
0: Man, those top three primary backups, Yanni Kajust, uh, Yanni uh, something Frohol.
1: Yalda
0: Frohol. Yeah, Yalda Frohole. I, I remember that. him from the combine being I mean, like, that dude can get, get after it. And then Jermaine yeah. Illuminor. Man, that's that's the all-name team right there. I just had to make a mention about that because that's an impressive name lineup right there. And I think a possible tip that you mentioned about maybe going to more of that under center, possibly 12 personnel play action, you know, get Jarrett Siddham out on the edge could be the drafting of the two tight ends like you mentioned, Devin Asiasi. <laughs> (laughs) and Dalton Keene, so definitely a good point to keep an eye on there. And speaking of all these unsung players, Evan, it feels like every year we talk about guys that have these contributions to the Patriots that don't get enough praise. Who is the one guy that doesn't get the national spotlight but deserves it more than anybody else on this football team?
1: Well, I think Lawrence Guy is starting this is Lawrence Guy's always my default answer to this question, but I think he's starting to get a little bit of buzz nationally and kind of a little bit of recognition. He was named to the Patriots all decade team. Wow. So people are starting to notice him a little bit more. So I'll go with Adam Butler, who's the guy right next to him, he usually comes on the field in passing situations. Nobody was double teamed more last year than Adam Butler. And that's not because he's Aaron Donald or Fletcher Cox and he demands a double team. It's because the scheme is asking him to be double teamed, right? It's in Inviting a double team to open up rushing lanes for other guys to wrap around his penetration, or whatever the case may be. So the Patriots love to run these scheme pressures where they run stunts and line games and stuff like that. And Butler is always at the center of it, clogging up blockers, eating up blockers, getting guys free, setting picks for his teammates to get into the pass rush. And he has actually developed pretty nicely as a run stopper too. He ranks sixth among interior defensive linemen in a PFF's run stop percentage last year. So he he started coming around in both ways. The Patriots get, put a second-round tender on him this offseason, so they obviously valued him a lot as a restricted free agent. So it be interesting to see if they give him a long-term extension, but he's definitely one of those players that doesn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet or in the box score all the time, but his penetration, his ability to take on blockers is really what's causing all that havoc up front most of the time.
0: And here's a question for you, Evan, that you have not had asked to you since you started covering the Patriots because the season for the Patriots typically starts second week in January. The Patriots will, what's the catalyst this year? The Patriots will or will not be a playoff team if this thing does or does not happen?
1: I would say that they will be or will not be a playoff team if the defense regresses mightily. You know, obviously the defense is not going to play as well as it did last year. Most likely the turnover rate in particular and the touchdown rate that they had early on in the season was clearly unsustainable and it ended up cooling off a little bit by the end of the year anyways, but they need the defense to be dominant for them to be able to win 10, 11, 12 games like we're so accustomed to them doing. So if the defense goes from the best defense in the league last year to the 10th best defense in the league, and that's going to be a big drop off for them that they might not be able to overcome so they still need to have this be a dominant defense on that side of the ball and they need to be able to lead with that side of the ball a lot like they did last year at times even
0: with Brady help help correct me or maybe confirm this for me because I think perception around the Patriots defense last year was that the first half of the season it was you know historically great and then maybe kind of tailed off a little bit is that true and if it is why did that happen do you think it was
1: true for some parts. You know, Baltimore obviously lit them up, but yep. that was right in that run when Baltimore was lighting up everybody. <laughs> yeah. So it was really not anything outside the norm for the Ravens to go up against a good defense and light them up. They got a little bit beat by Deshaun Watson and in the, in the Texans in the week after, but really when you start to break that, that or it was a couple weeks after, but when you start to break that game down, it was really like two or three plays that they got beat on for big touchdowns over the top, longer touchdowns, Kenny Stills caught a big one, and it really the rest of the game Game they were pretty much kind of going toe for toe with Deshaun and those guys. So I I would say that there were some games. The Miami game in Week 17 was definitely not a good ending to the year, and that I think was really a testament to the Flores and the Miami coaching staff. Not to not pumping any tires. Just saying it was a great game plan by the guys on that side of the ball because the Patriots play cover one single high safety in the middle of the field outside shade most of the time for their cornerbacks and Miami like a drum beat those underneath crossers all day long and that's the one sort of route they have that intermediate robber defender to kind of take the over routes the little bit intermediate crossers then you have a deep guy to take posts and overs and stuff like that but it's that little kind of shallow cross where the guy with outside shade and man coverage that is out leveraged every single time and it's, it's kind of a lose-lose for the defense it's the one thing you know defense can't stop everything, right? And it's the one thing that this defense, that kind of scheme sort of surrenders and Miami just knowing the institutional knowledge that they had they were able to really just pick it apart and they also had some guys that were really kind of good and built for that at receiver to kind of run those types of schemes. So that was the biggest thing I would say is that you know, Later in the season, some of their things started to get figured out a little bit. Uh, Houston certainly figured out some of their zero blitz stuff. Baltimore just ran over them like they ran over everybody last year at that point in the season, and then Miami had the knowledge to kind of figure out the best way to beat their scheme.
0: Well, that's a really good segue into my final question for you here, because I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this about Brian Flores, and I think the first time you and I met, Evan, I tried to get Mark Schofield on the po- on Locked On Dolphins because he was a Locked On Patriots host at the time. He wasn't available when the Dolphins did make the decision to announce Brian Flores as the next head coach, and he told me, "Hey, go talk to my buddy Evan." I was like, "Okay, cool." So we did a podcast, and it was fantastic. And you and I have kind of gone back and forth on saying this is what we think about Brian Flores and how much we do think about him. Can you give me a good Brian Flores story from your time covering him there in New England? Like what's a a good inside baseball type of story you got on Brian Flores?
1: So I asked him at the Super Bowl one time last year, uh, not this past year, but two years ago, I guess now against the Rams and the Patriots in the Super Bowl in Atlanta, and I asked him, I said, you know, why do you guys play so much cover one? You know, what is it about cover one that you love so much? And he goes, we don't play cover one all that much. We play everything, and I was like Brian. I got the numbers right in front of me. I, I know you guys. You love cover one. It's it's the best coverage in ball. I get it. It's not a bad thing. And he just said to me, he just like at me, he goes, "We do whatever we think we need to do to win football games." And that's such a cliche answer, but I really do think he meant it, you know. And I, I think that's one thing is that a lot of people they see it as lip service. They see it as them kind of just appeasing the media and answering a question whatever way they can. But whatever Brian Flores did, and I think think that he had in mind the Super Bowl game plan in the back of his head like this kid's asking me about cover 1 about and we're not going <laughs> to play a lick of cover 1 against the Rams on Sunday and he's going to kind of be pretty surprised so i went back afterwards and you know celebrating in the locker room and i was like you guys didn't play cover 1 a single time this game did you and he was like i think i called it like once or twice and i was like <laughs> unreal so they played quarters they played a little bit of 3 buzz They played some zero, and there was really not a ton of their man-to-man cover one, and it threw the Rams totally off. So Brian Flores has got that ability to evolve just like Bill Belichick. He
0: he is the absolute genuine article. What you see is what you get. That's why they love him down here so much in Miami. Evan, that was fantastic, man. He is Evan Lazar. You can find him on Twitter, at ezlazar and on the Pats All-22 podcast and CLNS Media covering the New England Patriots. Evan, thank you again so much, man, and we'll see you week one. Absolutely. Thanks, Travis. And away he goes. Evan is one of the most knowledgeable football reporters there is out there. He and I actually talked year about a year ago about how we should start our own podcast together, an NFL podcast, because we both have such a good rapport together and both feel like we can bounce knowledge and ideas off of one another. And I think you got a sense of that on that podcast right there. The Know the Enemy series, New England Patriots with Evan Lazar of CLNS Media covering the New England Patriots. Great stuff from him there. Cool little Brian Flores story at the very end from the Super Bowl a couple years back we're going to be doing more of these know the enemy podcasts we're going to have positional previews heading into training camp plenty of summer content for you guys to get through to connect the dots from here all the way up till the season in september and of course through training camp all that fun stuff plenty of content here on the drive time podcast miamidolphins.com As for this podcast, that is going to be my time. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Follow the Dolphins at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice. The Audible with Kim and John. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.